Hello, this is Bill Warner with another podcast on anything and everything related to political Islam. I would like to talk to you about the Muslim Brotherhood and how you must study about them and learn from them. On September 11, 2001, my phone began to ring a lot, ring about a dozen times that day. And what people were doing was calling me up and saying to me, how did you know something was going to happen? Because I had told many people that we were going to get whacked, was the way I put it. Well, the reason I was able to say that we were going to get attacked was simple. I paid attention to what Osama bin Laden said. And Osama bin Laden called America to Islam. Now, having read the Sunnah of Muhammad, that is, the way he lived his life and what he said, I knew that he called his enemies to Islam before he attacked them. And his favorite method of attack was, in the morning, a sneak attack, which is exactly what we had on September 11, 2001. I did not say that the World Trade Towers were going to be attacked. I just said we were going to get attacked. In the same way I was able to, 10 years ago, in Afghanistan, say that we were going to lose in Afghanistan. Why? Well, look very carefully what we had going on. We had 18 generals in 20 years try to win the war in Afghanistan. They were losers, one and all, and suffered no consequences as of it because they lost. Let me give you an example of how I knew we were going to lose in Afghanistan. One of the generals that came into Afghanistan was McChrystal, and he wrote a whole strategic paper on how to win the war in Afghanistan. But you know what? I knew when I read it that we were not going to win the war in Afghanistan. Why? because of what I did not see. I did not see in this strategy to win in Afghanistan. I didn't see the word Islam. I didn't see the word Muslim. I didn't see the word Jihad. Now, how are you gonna defeat an enemy if you don't know how they think? Well, that's what we tried to do for 20 years in Afghanistan. And I guess it didn't work too well, did it? But are we willing to learn? No, we're still not interested in learning about the Muslim Brotherhood or Islam in our FBI or our military. We simply don't care. Now, one reason we knew so little about Islam was that the schools taught us a pro-Islam document. The books that you read mostly were pro-Islam. As a matter of fact, during the entire 20th century, there was very little written about Islam that was of any use to anybody. There's a reason for this. Up until the First World War, Britain used coal for their ships. But it turns out that fuel oil is a better, gives you more distance per gallon, if you will, than coal does. So as a consequence, the books that we wrote in England, in particular, were very uncritical of Islam. The reason is there was a lot of oil in the Middle East, and we did not want to offend the Muslims. So as a consequence, the scholarship in the 20th century was pretty wretched. Not very useful at all. Now, after 9-11, a totally new kind of scholarship developed. This was a new way of looking at things. For once, the books that were written and the articles that were written were not written to impress you with how intelligent you were, but how easy it would be to understand. I, for instance, write my books, as I say, so that a blue-collar worker, a plumber or a bus driver can read and understand the doctrine. 
this is very unusual. For the first time in human history, it was easy for the average person to learn about Islam if they wanted to do so. Let me give you an example of a different kind of book that was written that was really well done. This is Dan Gibson, written sometime in 2020, I believe it was, called Quranic Geography. He was raised in the Middle East. Arabic is his native language, along with English. And he realized in reading the Quran that when it described Mecca, this could not possibly be Mecca because he'd been to Mecca many times and could tell from mentions of plants, soil, and weather, and geography that this was not Mecca. As a matter of fact, it turns out that there was only one place it could be, and that is Petra. Now, he also looked at satellite photographs and pointed out that the Qibla, direction of prayer, which is marked in a mosque, was not towards Mecca, but once again, Petra. So this is a different kind of book, because previously the people who wrote books on Islam were Arabic scholars, Arabic history, and other such details. But it was not, they wouldn't know any, let's put it to you this way, a university professor is not going to be discussing soil types. Gibson did, and with great results. Now, let's face some facts. We are in the middle of a war, a civilizational war, with political Islam. It is the goal of Islam to eliminate all other civilizations except that of the Sharia civilization. And so that's the process of what's going on in Afghanistan, for instance. If this is a war, we have to ask ourselves the question, who's winning? But it turns out who's winning is Islam, in particular the Muslim Brotherhood is winning. Let me tell you a little bit about the Muslim Brotherhood. It was created in the 20s. At that time, Islam was losing everywhere. France and Britain were laying out the boundary lines of nations, and the Muslims were weak and not at all a proud people as they should be, and besides that, they had a problem. They were supposed to be winning the war, and yet what was happening was is that the French and the British were winning the war. So he knew how to put things right. The solution to the problems in Muslim Brotherhood is pure Islam. And so therefore, that's what he, he developed a whole theory about this. Now, the first manifestations of the, of the Muslim Brotherhood, they were like a political party. They voted, ran candidates had people assassinated. Sadat was, for instance, assassinated by the Muslim Brotherhood. But here in the United States, the Muslim Brotherhood is not a party that runs, but it is like a philosophy and a way of life. A Muslim Brotherhood or a Muslim Brother does not keep a card in his wallet that says, member of the Muslim Brotherhood. But it's a very real thing. And how do we know this? Well, years ago, a policeman noticed that somebody, as they said, of Arabic or Middle East descent was taking pictures of a bridge. Well, this is not unusual. The Golden Gate Bridge, for instance, has been photographed endless numbers of times. But this was not the usual artistic or vacation picture they were taking. They, instead of taking pictures of the water and the, and the sun and the sky and the clouds, Instead, we're taking pictures of the structure itself. And so, therefore, they looked at his license plate, went to his home with a warrant to search it. And it turned out in the basement of his house, there was a secret door in the floor. 
This man, it turns out, was the secretary of the Muslim Brotherhood. And so we know exactly how they think and what they do and how they go about their business. It is an incredible document, an incredible document to see the work that they do. They plan 10 years out, 100 years out, generations out. We found that from reading their documents that they are extraordinarily good at long-range planning, a century out, generation out. They keep time with a calendar and we keep time with a watch. One of the scariest things about the Muslim Brotherhood documents is, is to see that the plans that they were making 20 years ago have come to fruition. These people are not just sitting around having a spirited conversation about what they would like to see happen. They make things happen. They wanted to do not just mosques, but community centers. They wanted their own schools. They wanted to elect people to office. Now, people today get upset when in an office for running for mayor or Congress or something like that, that the Muslim runs for the office and wins. Well, there's no reason to be surprised about this. They laid these plans out decades ago. And so therefore, you learn to respect the Muslim Brotherhood because of their ability to plan and execute. Here's an example of how the Muslim Brotherhood works. Let's go back to where we started, September 11, 2001. The first report that was written about that included words like war, jihad, Muslim, Islam. But now then, when you read the report on 9-11, you don't find any words that relate it to Islam. As a matter of fact, if you read the current federal report on 9-11, you'll never know that Islam even played a part in it at all. So this is the example of how the Muslim Brotherhood works. They work at the very top, and they work in a way that is very clever. Because now then what they're saying is, not only should we not discuss Islam when we discuss 9-11, we should never discuss any jihad of all. Why? Why it causes Islamophobia. So we're not even supposed to do anything except just smile. Now, if we're going to learn from the winners, we're going to learn from the Muslim Brotherhood. And the first thing we see is, is that the Muslim Brotherhood is a group. This is of critical importance because as an individual, for instance, I've been fighting against political Islam since September 11, 2001. But I will never defeat Islam nor is Robert Spencer, nor anyone else going to, no individual can ever put win over Islam or the Muslim Brotherhood. Individuals do not defeat armies. It takes an army to defeat armies. So therefore, we must start forming our own groups because by their, ourselves, we will never win. We simply can't, it's not even a theoretical possibility. Now, we've done very well at writing books. As a matter of fact, the scholarship in this has been unusual and quite good. But if we wrote 10 times as many books over the next two years, we would not be any closer to defeating Sharia. Instead, we need to be having groups that are devoted to defeating Sharia. And they have to be groups, not people as individuals. There's another advantage to groups. People will do things in a group that they would never do on their own. One of the things I admire about Muslims is how brave they are. Let me give you an example. I've given talks in front of thousands of people, and Muslims will show up to ask questions and challenge me. Well, that's very good. I admire that. But we don't have people who go to Muslim talks and challenge them. So we need to have groups in order that we will do things that will be more bold.
individuals will not be as bold as, as a group will. Another advantage that the Muslim Brotherhood has is they know it's a war and they plan on winning. They plan on totally annihilating us. Now, until then, they're going to smile and be our friend. But meanwhile, they're going to be working on a project to annihilate us. They know it's war and they want to win. Unfortunately, on our side, we don't know that it's war. We just think it's an inconvenience and we're going to be nice. And the nicer we are, the nicer the Muslims will be. And so therefore, we won't have to have a war. That hasn't worked for 1,400 years, and it's not going to work now. Here's another difference between the Muslim Brotherhood and the individuals fighting against Islam. Money. The Quran is very emphatic in insisting that every Muslim must give to jihad. And, and so they're very generous in doing this. Let me give you an example. I sat in a mosque in Southern California. About 40 or 50 people were in the room that I could see. The women were behind the screen and I couldn't see who they were. In about 15 minutes time, a man stood up in front of the room and told them that he wanted to raise roughly $30,000 in order to hire attorneys to do lawfare. Now lawfare is a form of war, but using the legal system to hassle somebody so that it could be, I could be sued for something. And it's not that I would ever lose. It's simply that I would waste money and time on attorneys. So this is a form of war and they do it well. Another thing that happens when you have a group as opposed to individuals is you have better morale. The Muslim Brotherhood has incredible morale. Let me give you an example. After September 11, 2001, under what would have been considered the worst public relations disaster possible in the world, in less than a week's time, the Muslim Brotherhood had a response. What did they do? They started calling up the churches and saying, Hi, my name is Ahmed, and we would like to come to your church and talk to you about Islam, the religion of peace. This was a program that was implemented nationally, and it was done in less than a week after 9-11. That's incredible. We have no group on our side. No Kafir group can possibly come to any decision that would be have world impact or national impact within in less than a week's time. Amazing work. I'm very much an admirer of the Muslim Brotherhood. The other thing they have is morale. They never, as a group, get, let's put it the other way. One of the things that drives me nuts about Kaffirs is how they whine. Oh, we're losing. Sweden is toast. England is lost. France is lost. This sort of morale, poopy pants, morale, I call it, is not what the Muslim Brotherhood has. They're going to win, and they believe it. And we're not so sure we're going to win at all. As a matter of fact, sometimes we're not even sure we want to try to win. Another thing that the Muslim Brotherhood introduced in short order after 9-11 was bridge building. Now that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Bridge building, bringing us together as a community. Well, it was great for the Muslim Brotherhood and great for Islam, but it was not great for us. Here's a typical example. In Nashville, Tennessee, one of the bridge building first sessions was a rabbi, a Baptist minister, and an imam. 
It became real clear that the Baptist minister and the rabbi knew nothing about Islam. A question was asked, have you read the Quran? No, I have not. Then asked the rabbi, have you read the Quran? No, I have not. Asked the imam, have you studied the New Testament? Oh, yes, I have. Have you studied the Old Testament, the Torah? Yes, I've taken courses in it. So here we have, we can see this bridge is going to be a one-way development. This is tragic. What should be happening is that the churches would be bringing Muslims into the church, but instead what they do is they just ignore them. I've stood in many churches and asked these three questions. How many Muslims have you converted? How do you support the persecuted Christians in the Middle East and Africa? And what powerful people have you offended? Well, the answers are no. That to me is bankruptcy. The Muslim Brotherhood is bold and aggressive. If we want to do the similar thing, what we would do is create debate teams <clears throat> that would go to university campuses where there's a Muslim, Muslim student association and challenge them to debates. That is, go into their house and challenge them. Are we going to do that? Well, it's going to take a lot of development to do it. And first thing it's got to do is, is have people who want to do it. So we need to change from caution and reservation to one of risk and control liberation. We need to be bold and aggressive ourselves. In America, the Muslims are converting people to Islam. That happens very little in the churches. This should not be this way. There is a Baptist minister in Australia who has personally converted by himself 2,400 Muslims to Christianity. Well, he came to a trip and came to my hometown of Nashville, and he wanted to speak to ministers about his method. One minister showed up for the meeting. One. And yet here was a man who was converting Muslims by the thousand. So why weren't the Christians going to show up to learn how to do this? I didn't ask them, but I've got a feeling that fear was a high motivator. We need to make groups. This is one of the things that Center for the Study of Political Islam is doing. We're making groups in order to fight against Islam, not as individuals, but as groups. But other people can make groups as well. Let me give you an example. There's a man by the name of Steve Amundsen in California who hands out pamphlets on Fridays in shopping malls because shopping malls in California and about 30 other states are free speech areas. He hands out and discusses Islam with roughly 800 people on Friday night. Imagine if you took in, others, in other states were allies with him and learned from him how he does what he does, which is incredible. So there could be a group that's scattered across the United States of people who go to the mall and discuss Islam with the people in the mall. That's an example of forming a group. Former Muslims, there are now apostates, could form a group. You could have a group formed who wanted to teach Christian history with Islam to the churches. Now, there's one thing that has happened that's very useful to do this. 
if you're going to make a group, you need a way to communicate with each other. And there's some software that's been developed, which I call community software. And community software lets people have, it's sort of like a Facebook for ideological war. You can have your own web page. Your group can have a web page. There can be, let's say you're going to do Steve Amundsen's thing. You can have a common group for everybody, a group for the one in Nashville, Tennessee, and all these different groups so that you can communicate with each other. This is all very doable. That's what drives me crazy. This is not, this is not like making another, the first nuclear weapon or anything. It's simply applying common sense and working together as human beings because we must work together as groups. If we do not, no matter how many books we write, no matter how many books we read, we will lose this war and we will lose our civilization. This is very serious business. As a matter of fact, I think it's the greatest piece of business that's to be done in this century. So forget about saving the world by yourself. Instead, what you must do is join it with other groups. So what we have to do is to join and make groups so that we can all work together, so that we can help with morale, we can help with ideas. We'll be more bold, more courageous. So we don't have a choice. We either learn how to make groups and work together as a group, or our civilization ceases, along with all the great books that we've written, but turned out to be useless unless they were used by a group instead of an individual. Thank you very much. If you're interested in, in joining CSPII, Center for the Study of Political Islam International, and becoming part of a group, go to my webpage, politicalislam.com, and work your way from there to me. If you want to send me an email, you'll be directed on how to get to the Center for the Study of Political Islam International so that you can join us as a group. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening. If you would like to learn more, please go to politicalislam.com or cspii.org.